All right, I want to welcome everyone here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to start by calling on the name of the Lord together. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, our prayer as we gather around your word this morning is that you would do what you love to do most, Lord. Exalt yourself. God, we pray today that you would glorify your name. Lord, you are the shepherd of the sheep. And you promise to lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And so we appeal to your jealousy for your glory this morning. Lead us in paths of righteousness, Lord, and do it for your own namesake. God, I pray for the church today that you would strengthen us through the preaching of the word. You've been so faithful to this means of grace. Just as we heard moments ago. Lord, for hundreds of years you've built up your church on Lord's Day meetings just like this. Through the proclamation of your word. God, we ask to be strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. As we gather around your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we get started this morning, I think it's good every once in a while for the church to get a little bit of insight into what it's like to be a pastor. I think that's helpful for you periodically. And one of the things that I want you to understand is one of the ways that God deals with his shepherds, his under shepherds is He gives them a measure of burden, a measure of His burden for His people. And I want you to know that that is certainly true. And I speak on behalf of all your pastors this morning. That we have a great desire from Jesus Christ to see you move forward. And I want you to understand that. That we don't stand here and, and our aim is not just to open God's Word give you a few things to think about and you can take it or leave it. We're on our faces before God and we're crying out, Lord, strengthen my brothers and sisters. Strengthen their souls. And I want you to know that this morning, that every face in this room, I have that desire for you. I can look around today and I can see you. And I desire that Christ Jesus would strengthen you. That you would move forward in your walk with God. I could name names all across this room. My brother Joel, my brother Joshua, Joy, Ben, all across the room. And I look at these faces and I'm reminded as a pastor, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And we got one shot, a vapor of a life, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and then no more. And so I have that desire for us this morning that the Lord would help us, that God would strengthen us 
today to live for His glory. And so I want to ask you on the front end, we don't, we don't do a whole lot of gimmicks you know, in, in preaching at, at the church. Part of that is because we're, we're just not creative. Um, but I do want to ask you on the front end to do some soul work this morning for yourself. And I want, I want you to try this morning to identify some places in your life as a follower of Christ, and I speak to everyone, where you are meeting tremendous difficulty, that you would do some work on your own heart on the front end today to try to identify some places in your life where there is weakness, where there is discouragement, where there is difficulty. I'll run through just a few of these. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe you feel stuck as a follower of Christ. Maybe it's even more severe that you feel like everything is unraveling in your life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your own besetting sin that, that clings so closely to you. Maybe it's this nagging thought that you're not a very fruitful Christian. Or maybe it's a crushing weight that you feel like you're not even a Christian at all. Maybe you feel storm-tossed by the last several months of isolation, coronavirus, only to give way to murder and riots. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe it's the burden of an unconverted loved one that still has not come to Jesus. Maybe it's the difficulty of parenting children in a fallen world. Maybe it's the burden of being mocked because you are a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have a chronic sickness that weighs you down. Whatever it is, I want you to try to get it in your mind this morning of what discourages your soul. What you find extremely difficult as a follower of Christ and I want you to try to identify that place and that thing because I want the weight of God's Word this morning to fall right there in your life. Exactly where you need it. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Let's read God's Word together this morning. This is the word of the Lord to this local church. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, 
having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplications, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is the Word of God to this local church this morning. Now I read that passage to give us some context, but most of our attention this morning is going to be focused on that one verse in verse 10, that command to be strong in the Lord. And we'll come back to that in just a moment because the context gives us some important cues. It shows us, in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul shows us why This call to be strong in the Lord is needed. We must be strong in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 shows us that Christians need strength from God because Christians are in a war, in a cosmic battle. We are engaged with an enemy that far exceeds our natural abilities, our natural strength. Therefore, we must be strong in the Lord. Paul tells us in verse 12, actually it's, yes, verse 12, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And so with those difficulties that you're keeping in your mind for just a moment, that's your first reminder this morning, that you are not wrestling merely with flesh and blood Christian, you are in a cosmic battle with the demonic realm, with the kingdom of darkness. Paul describes this demonic realm with several terms in verse 12. They're called cosmic powers. He also calls them spiritual forces of evil or wickedness. And if you go just a few pages back in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul describes these spirits as the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so, there's a lot of weird things that, that, that some Christians think about this demonic realm. If you want to know The end goal of Satan and demons in the kingdom of darkness, look at lost humanity. It's the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's in this sense that the word of God tells us in 1 John 5, verse 19, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's fallen, lost humanity and all the world systems and all the world structures that have fallen away 
and sin. They lie in the power of the evil one, the prince of the power of the air, and this kingdom of darkness. First question to you this morning is how are we to engage such an enemy? How are we to engage such an enemy? Supernatural foe. And here I want us to take a step back and I want us to remember the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to press in this morning to one dimension of the gospel of Jesus. That gospel that we love, it has dimensions to it. It has a breadth to it. It has a glory to it. And I want to zone in on one of those dimensions of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the proclamation of release or deliverance or liberation from the demonic realm. The medieval church referred to this as Christus Victor, Christ Jesus our victory. And I want us to take a step back this morning and behold Jesus in His beautiful glory as the mighty warrior, the conqueror, the victor. This is the way Jesus describes His own ministry. He tells a parable in Matthew 12, the context in Matthew 12 is Jesus cast out demons and those his enemies mock him for this mighty work. And Jesus tells this parable in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. He says this. It's actually a question. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? That's Jesus' question. Unless he first binds the strong man, then Jesus says, then indeed he may plunder his house. This is how Jesus understands his own ministry, understand his question. How in the world can we go into a strong man's house and plunder his house unless we bind the strong man first, and then after we bind him, then we go in, then we plunder his house. His house, Jesus understands himself to be the one who has come to bind the strong man. Jesus is the one who came to bind the strong man. The strong man in the parable is Satan. The one stronger than Satan is Jesus. Jesus came to bind Satan. And after Jesus has bound him, what does Jesus do? Jesus plunders his house, Jesus takes his stuff. Christ our victor. Christ our conqueror. This is who we are. We are the plunder of King Jesus, the conqueror. He came and He bound the strong man and He plundered the demonic realm. This is exactly what Hebrews 2 tells us about the work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2.14 tells us it was that through death, he destroyed the one who had power over death, that is the devil. Now think about how beautiful this is. How did Jesus disarm the evil one? He did it by dying. 
What seemed to be the ultimate act of weakness was how he conquered this demonic realm. Through death he destroyed the one who had power over death. Jesus is the true and better Samson, right? The one who killed more enemies in his death than he did in his life. Through death he destroyed the one who had power over death. That is the devil. Colossians chapter 2 tells us, 2.15, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them by His death on the cross. He is the conqueror. So if you remember that vision of Nebuchadnezzar back in the book of Daniel... If Satan's kingdom is like Nebuchadnezzar's statue, then Jesus' kingdom is that stone that comes cut without human hands that smashes the kingdom of men into pieces, into smithereens. He's the conqueror. He came to conquer the forces of darkness, the, the, the cosmic powers. Therefore... Brothers and sisters, therefore, because Jesus is conqueror, because Jesus has victory, because Jesus is king, His people have been set free from enslavement to the demonic realm. This is part of the good news of the gospel. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to remember that. You were once a willing slave of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. You were His servant. Ephesians chapter 2. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air. And you loved it. You are a willing servant of the kingdom of darkness, but you have been plundered by Christ the warrior, by Christ the victor. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved Son. You're a trophy of grace. You, you are a trophy of grace. You are the plunder of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Unless Jesus had gone before us, unless Jesus had won this victory over Satan and his kingdom, conquering him in battle, we would have no chance against this supernatural foe that the Apostle Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6. We would have no chance. It's only because the Lord has gone before us. And so I want, to, I want us to come back down in this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians 6 shows us that while we are no longer members, citizens of the kingdom of darkness, Christians as members, citizens of the kingdom of light, are involved in this daily conflict with the demonic realm. Question number two, Christian. Are you awake to this battle? Are you awake to this battle? You know, part of the strategy 
of, of Satan in the kingdom of darkness is to work underground. Deceitfulness. Schemes. Are you aware of this battle? And some of you say, you know what, I never think about this battle. If you never think about the battle, then know this, you're not standing firm. You're not standing firm in the warfare and just not ever thinking about it. It's more like we're getting smoked on the battlefield, right? And we're not even thinking about it. Are you aware of this battle that you are in the midst of? Are you standing firm, therefore? I want to remind us with this imagery that we have in this passage that human weapons and human strategy are powerless against the kingdom of darkness. Powerless. If you're fighting this battle with your own ideas, stop. If you're fighting this battle with pragmatism, know on the front end it's going to fail. There's not enough firepower. There's not enough authority. This is a supernatural foe. This is why four times in this passage, we are told that if we put on the armor of God, four times we are promised that we will stand against the forces of darkness. We will stand. We will stand. Stand, therefore, having done all, stand firm. This is the promise that God has given us. He has equipped us for this battle. We have resources in the gospel. We have resources in Jesus Christ to stand victorious on this battlefield. Now I want to say this for just a moment. Not everybody in this room is a believer. I mean that's just the fact. Not everybody in this room is a believer. And I want to speak to you directly just for a moment if you're an unbeliever here today. One, one of the things you can get duped into as an unbeliever is you try to live the Christian life before you become a Christian. And I don't want you to get that backwards. Okay? If you're an unbeliever here today, I want you to understand you have no armor of God and you have no power. To resist this foe, the kingdom of darkness. Because you have not bowed the knee and trusted in Jesus Christ, you have no resources, no weapons of grace. And I want to turn your attention this morning away from Satan and the kingdom of darkness. And I want to remind you as an unbeliever, this is a loving reminder, that, that you got bigger issues right now than Satan. You got a bigger problem and a bigger enemy in your life right now than Satan. The wrath of God abides on you. You have the worst of enemies outside of Jesus Christ. And the only safe place for you is to repent of your sins and to flee to Christ Jesus, who will save you from the wrath of God. He's the only one that came for you, He's the only one qualified. And He stands ready to save all who come to Him. And so don't focus this morning as an unbeliever on Satan and demons. Deal with God. Deal with God. Flee to Christ. And don't try to live the Christian life without Christ. Don't get it backwards. Brothers and sisters, I want us to 
to notice that these weapons, the armor of God that we're to cover ourselves with, I want us to notice that our weapons are not secret insights. How many times have you heard this as a follower of Christ? That the real way to go to war is these secret, charismaniac insights into some spiritual warfare prophecy conference where you learn incantations and demon-binding rituals. Look at what we have. None of that in this passage. That's not the armor of God. What is the armor of God? How encouraging is this? It's just the simple gifts of the gospel of the grace of God. What is our weapon on this battlefield? It's not secret Gnostic insights. What is the weapons? Look, the imagery is of armor, belts, shields, helmet, sword. But the substance is described in this way. What is our armor? Truth. That's how we protect ourselves. We cover ourselves with the truth of God, righteousness. Peace, faith, salvation, and the Word of God. Now as you glance through that list, I want you to be encouraged that all those things are is just descriptions of what the Gospel gives you. This is what Jesus gives you. This is how Jesus has equipped you for battle. The gospel of truth, the gospel that grants righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel that gives us peace with God, the gospel that demands faith and grants faith, the gospel of salvation, the gospel that is the word of God. These are our weapons on the battlefield. This is how we stand firm against the cosmic powers as we do it with the gospel. We do it with the gospel of the grace of God. There's a simplicity to the armor of God that I don't want you to lose. This is basically synonymous. Put on the armor of God with the commandment in Ephesians 4. Put on the new man. Put on the armor of God. And it's basically synonymous also with that commandment in Romans 13, 4. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ. Put on the new man. Put on the armor of God. Now, that thing that I asked you to hold in your mind, remember you're supposed to do some work at the very beginning. I want you to reinsert it into this grid that we just unpacked a little bit. And I want to remind you that in this area of weakness and discouragement, you are not battling against mere flesh and blood. God has commanded you to cover yourself with His armor. And we are to stand firm in all circumstances. Verse 16. And we are to keep alert with all perseverance. Verse 18. And it's within this framework of cosmic warfare that I want to circle back to this commandment in verse 10. And I want to encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. 
Now as we press in to that commandment together this morning, I want to come at this command in verse 10 with an attempt to correct a common misconception in the Christian life. I want you to notice just on the face of it in verse 10 that Christians are called to strength, not weakness. I'll say that again. I want you to notice in verse 10, Christians are called to strength, not weakness. Now, some of you may be even thinking about this even now that, wait a second, I remember. I remember, Dustin, a couple of weeks ago when you said these words in the context of spiritual warfare, that it's not bow up and fight like a man, but it's feel weak and trust God. I heard what you said. So you are incriminating yourself in front of everyone when you say that Christians are called to strength and not weakness. And I want to take just a few minutes this morning and I want to try to convince you that I believe that both of those statements are true according to the Word of God. And I want to try and explain that this morning by exposing a half-truth, a common misconception in the Christian life. And that half-truth goes something like this. We're all aware because of our depravity. Because of our depravity, it is right, brothers and sisters, for us to feel weakness in our own abilities to obey God. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. It is right for us to feel weakness in our own abilities to obey God. That weakness comes out sometimes in expression like, I can't. I just cannot do it. I'm weak. I've tried so many times. Fill in that blank with that difficulty that you got in your mind. I just cannot. I cannot. I'm weak. Many of you are aware of this sort of thought. We rightly feel this way on a daily basis. We don't have the resources in ourselves to get the job done, to obey God. One of the things that I mentioned several weeks ago was that we're not any, we're not any more able to live the Christian life than we were able to save ourselves, to justify ourselves. It's supernatural what God has called us to. But here's the warning. The Christian must account for more than their own depravity. I'll say that again. You must account, brothers and sisters, for more than your own depravity. Question number three. What about Jesus? We know about our weakness. We, we live with it every day, all the time. We take a, a glance within and there's weakness, insufficiencies, all the way down the line. But the question is, what about Jesus Christ? What about Him? What about His sufficiency? What about His priestly rule at the right hand of God? What about His resurrection power that He's promised to those who believe? What about Jesus? 
And so this command in verse 10, to be strong in the Lord, it reminds us that as Christians, we must make a transition from weakness to strength. That's the command. Be strong in the Lord. Still got some work to do. It's very important that we understand that this transition from weakness to strength is not found in ourselves. That's why we have that beautiful phrase. Be strong, not in yourselves. Be strong in the Lord. So we have to learn this well. That as we make that transition as Christians from weakness to strength, it is not as though our flesh gets any stronger. It's just as weak as it ever was. We didn't find any strength in ourselves or our own resources as we transition from weakness to strength. No, no. Flesh is as weak as it ever was. And this is one of the ways that non-Christians get it wrong right here. Is a self-confidence that you can perform what God demands in your own resources. Scriptures unmask the self-confidence and self-righteousness. You need Christ. You need the Spirit of God. You need supernatural help. And so this transition from weakness to strength is about tapping into a source of power outside of ourselves and in the Lord. That's very important. So, here's the warning. Here's the unmasking of the half-truth this morning. We cannot, as followers of Jesus, get stuck in this, I can't obey, I can't, I just can't do it mindset. That's partly right, but we have to pivot. There has to be something, something else accounted for. Now, I've used this analogy before, and pardon me, it's not very polished. And so we're going to consider Winnie the Pooh together this morning. And my warning to you today, as a follower of Jesus, here's the best way I could think to describe it, to give you an illustration. Don't be an Eeyore Christian. You remember Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh? The donkey and Winnie the Pooh? Everything's down. Everything's bad. This is the warning that you, as a follower of Christ, would live in an awareness of your depravity, Without an awareness of Jesus reigning at the right hand of God. Full of power, full of mercy, full of grace to help in time of need. How would that sound? Something like this. Everything is bad. I'm not obeying God. It'll probably be never be any different. You just don't understand how hard the circumstances are. There's no path forward for me. I'm just weak, weak, weak. Full stop. End of sentence. There's our question. What about Jesus? If you look at yourself, don't get me wrong. It really is that bad. 
It really is that bad. But what about Christ? Now, the unmasking is this. Sometimes that way of thinking and talking is boasted about in Christian circles. There are certain Christian circles that glorify this way of talking. And it usually comes with the description of, man, they're just so real. Man, they're just so real and raw. Just talk about how sinful they are, but it's so real. I want you to think about how many times you've been exposed to that way of thinking. Just so real, aware of weakness. And it comes like a banner. That's the banner that's flown by certain groups, certain flavors of Christianity. And I want to unmask this as nothing more than sinful unbelief. That's what it is. It's sinful unbelief. It is unbelief in the gospel. It's belief in depravity. Gets that part right. But it's unbelief in the gospel because it is not trusting the Lord. It's a half-truth. Do you see how this works? Every good counterfeit works this way. If you could smell it from a mile away, nobody's deceived by it. It's a half-truth, therefore it's an untruth. It's sinful unbelief. Now, maybe a protester says, what about Romans 7? What about Romans 7? And so, I want to go several layers into this. I want you to hear me well this morning, that I'm not trying to take an appeal of weakness away from anybody in this room. I'm not trying to take away your appeal to weakness. I can't even take it away from myself. I know what it feels like to do the things that you do not want to do. And so my charge to you this morning is not that you stop accounting for your weakness, but that you not stop there. That you also account for strength that's available in the Lord. And I will remind you that that chapter of Scripture, Romans 7, that details the, the Christian struggle, ends with a triumphant victory shout. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 7 is not Eeyore Christianity. It's not Eeyore Christianity. Be careful that you're not using it as cover to not turn that corner and find strength in your God. So as true as it is, I can't, I can't, I just can't. The Christian must also proclaim Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you think like that? Brothers and sisters, do you think like that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He does not despise our weakness. And I want that to be so encouraging to you this morning. That Jesus does not say, you get that weakness away from me, you go get yourself strong, and then you come to me. No, no. Our Savior does not despise our weakness. We come to Him in weakness, but our Savior does not leave us in human weakness. He fills us with His power. 
And we have to learn that pivot. I can't. I can't. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's the pivot of faith that we're called to as followers of Christ. So as your brother this morning, I want to call you out of sinful unbelief. I know how this lands on our soul, especially in these areas that bring us discouragement, that hinder us, that crush our soul, whatever area that is in your life. I don't want anyone stuck in these mindsets. I just, I just, Dustin, you don't understand. I just cannot love them. I cannot love them. I've given them everything I have for years. They take, they take, they take, they take some more. I've reached my limit. I don't got any more in the tank. I cannot love that person, whoever that is. I want to call you this morning to obedience. To find strength in your God. To be strong in the Lord. That you can't, it's true, but Jesus is calling us to faith this morning that He can. We cannot, He can. Be strong in the Lord. Now I'm going to bounce to a couple of different texts and I want you to see these two realities show up side by side in many passages in the Bible. Turn with me really quick to Isaiah chapter 40. This is an encouragement to those of us who feel weak and feel weak often. Isaiah 40 verse 29. This is our God. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Truth number one from that text. God gives power. God increases strength. And that's good news. But even more encouraging is that the precondition for the strength and the power of God in Isaiah, 20, Isaiah 40 verse 29 is that we be faint. And that we have no might. We have great encouragement here to bring our weakness to our God. And He'll give us power to the faint. To the one who has no might, He will increase in strength. This is who He is. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn there with me for just a moment. This is the Apostle Paul recounting his wrestling with prayer and prayer with Jesus Christ. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, But Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want you to think about that from that text. Is Paul weak? From one perspective, yes, he is. From another perspective, no, he's not. Is Paul weak in his flesh? Paul is absolutely weak. That same sentence says that the power of Christ is resting upon this man. And that way, he's not weak. 
And this is the Christian life. We bring our weakness to our God and He gives us His strength. There's a whole other error in the Christian life that we pretend like we're not weak. Paul says, I boast in my weakness. And that's self-righteousness. We're, we're nothing but weak apart from Jesus. John 15, 5, we can't do anything apart from Jesus. But there's also a warning in this text. Our instruction would be a better word. That as we boast in our weakness, the point is not just to boast in our weakness so that we can talk about, man, I'm just so weak, and man, weak, 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 and I just boast in how weak I am as though that were the end of the sentence. That's not the point of texts like this in the Bible. The point is we boast that we have such a Savior that we bring our weakness to our God. We boast on our weakness so that the power of the resurrected Jesus rests upon us. So we boast in our weakness so that we get His strength. It's not an end in itself. We need the power of God. We need to be strong in the Lord. You see the same reality in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. You might be thinking, man, why did God set it up like that? That we would bring weakness, that He would bring the strength. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 tells us that we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure and jars of clay, so that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He did it this way for His glory. He did it this way to glorify His holy name in a Christian's life, that they would be this little, weak, jar-clay pot. Nothing strong about it. And in this little, weak, jar of clay, the power of the resurrected Jesus is poured within. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Many, many great hymns that we love to sing to the Lord express both of these realities side by side. The appeal to weakness followed up by an appeal to, to strength in Jesus Christ, sufficiency in Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the line that we sing often. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. How many times that ever happened in your life? That you have been reminded that you have nothing but weakness outside of your God. And you can take it to the bank. Of demonic strategy in your life is to keep your face shoved in your weakness and your sin. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within, what do we do with that stuff? Do we just agree with Him? I know, I really am that bad. I really am that weak, full stop. And do we just go to bed right there? Do we just lay down in our weakness? How do we deal with it? 
Do we not sing that pivot? Upward I look and see Him there who put an end to all of my sin. Weakness to strength. That's the pivot of faith towards Jesus Christ. Some of you this morning are struggling with assurance of salvation because you, you haven't learned that pivot. You haven't learned that. All you're seeing is the weakness within. All you're seeing is that temptation to despair. When He tells you of the guilt within, you have to look up to the Lord. That's the pivot of faith. What about Jesus? What about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ? Is He, is he not more than enough to cover our sin? Be strong in the Lord. The Christian is called to strength, not weakness. My final reminder to us this morning is that being strong in the Lord is to be strengthened by His gospel. It's to be strengthened by His gospel. This is the point of the armor of God metaphor. What makes us strong for this battle? It's the things that the gospel gives us. And this is counterintuitive in many, many ways. Especially if you grew up, you know, playing sports and, uh, you know, lifting weights and training for anything. The way that we get strong, strong, strong is we exert ourselves and our own resources over and over and over again. But the way that we get strong in the Lord is that we give constant attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the armor of God. This is what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't forget that this morning. Be strengthened by grace. Be strengthened by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's how you get strong in the Lord. To use the words of the prophet Isaiah. This is a phrase you can find in Isaiah 12. It's a beautiful phrase. That Christians have to learn how to draw water from the wells of salvation. Is that not beautiful imagery? That we got to take that bucket, drop it in the well of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. We'll never hit the bottom. We'll never plumb the depths of it. And we got to draw water, resources, and strength from the well of salvation. And these wells are deeper than we can ever imagine. Paul uses a phrase in Ephesians chapter 3 of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. The phrase shows up in chapter 6 verse 10 that we're strengthened by the strength of His might. Nobody's ever exhausted the power of our God. In fact, as you're thinking about drawing water from the wells of salvation, these deep wells and Jesus Christ, the first whole half of the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 through 3, is basically nothing but, but overloading you, of reminding you of the glory, the breadth, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. This is what happened to you in salvation. And we got to take the bucket 
And we got to drop it down in the well. And we got to draw resources from the gospel. That's the kind of thing that Paul had in mind when he told Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that every believer has received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are rich in Jesus. You have no power, no resources in yourself. You are rich in Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing. And so our drawing water from the wells of the gospel, this is our armor in the day of battle. One more verse. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34. We read about God's servants by faith. So and so did this. By faith, by faith they did this. By faith they did this. Listen to this description in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34. God's servants, by faith, listen, were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in battle. And they put foreign armies to flight. And so I want to encourage you with that text of whatever thing you had locked in your mind, I want to encourage you that there are many who have gone before you that have made a transition from weakness to strength. That they have found strength in our God and they did it by faith. By faith, they became strong out of weakness. Brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord. I'll leave you with this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul prays for all of us that we would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. And one of the things that he wants us to know, Ephesians 1.19, listen, the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards those who believe. Be encouraged this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up our souls to you. And we ask, God, that you would act and move and strengthen us today for your own namesake. Lord, we feel like those weak clay pots all around the room. And we pray, God, that you would be faithful to your word. That the power of Jesus would rest upon this church. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us to ourselves, God. You're such a gracious Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.